The scripture lesson this week comes from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai, so that he might take off his sackcloth but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's units, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king and make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, all alike are put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself not been called to come into the king for thirty days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day, and I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day, we would grow in love and grace for you and for all people. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take out your notes page there. For those of you who are joining us online, uh, there is a link to a, another PDF of our notes page. Uh, as you can see, you do not have the entirety of the scripture that was read this morning, uh, just the last uh, eight, nine verses there uh, in front of you, but you also do have some other notes that I have teased out of my sermon. And as always, I invite you to take your own notes as you uh, are taking from this sermon what you will take with you into the world this day. You know, 
Unfortunately, in the United States, we do not have the best track record and we have a terrible history when it comes to the ways and manners in which we treat persons of color in this country. Uh, from the slaughtering and oppression of Native Americans to, to gathering them up and, and stealing their lands, taking them to uncertain places, to the enslavement, torture, and systemic oppression of black people, to the interning of Asians during the Second World War, and the continued racial reckoning we are going through and divisions that separate this country when it comes to how we should treat people who look, think, act, maybe even behave differently than us. But throughout time, we have always had persons, persons of color in these situations that have stood up for justice, pioneers of black freedom like Harriet Tubman, Native American civil rights activists like Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse, black civil rights icons like Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., others too numerous to name, persons who have stood up in the face of such adversity within our culture to seek to transform society into a place that truly values all persons, no matter what they look like, no matter what they believe, or any number of factors we may use to prejudice against them. You see, for humanity, justice is an all-too-old theme. It's not just our recent history, but it is all throughout history, fraught with examples of people seeking justice, and people seeking justice through God and through their faith. Justice, true justice, has something that has long been sought and it is in this manner that we look and we examine justice today. Not justice as a manner of judgment, not justice as a manner of punishment, no, but justice in terms of true and unconditional love for everyone. The presence of those seeking justice in the Bible shows us what it means to do so in our contemporary world, and it even highlights for us the uncomfortability in justice in our world. Because often it means admitting our own privilege, and then out of that privilege, noting the role that we can play of righting the wrongs of the past and the present to create a more just and bright future. You see, we are in this series where we are exploring women of the Bible. And we started a couple of weeks ago, and we looked at the biblical figure of Naomi and her steadfast kindness, and we were introduced to what it means to hold on to that manner of kindness, of hesed in our lives. Last week, we introduced ourselves to Deborah, and as we began to unpack Deborah, we noticed a calling in Deborah's ministry. We noticed the way that God called Deborah, and that Deborah claimed the authority of that call. As we seek to do so today, we listen for God's call. But you see, there was one part of the story that was missing in Deborah's call. You see, we saw Deborah and we encountered Deborah in the middle of her ministry. We saw Deborah when she had already taken that authority, when the Israelites had already respected her. But you see, this week we encounter a biblical figure who is being called by God, and we see the uncomfortability of that call. Because you see, oftentimes, in fact, I would say most of the time, God calls us into unexpected and uncomfortable places. 
You see, God's calling is never as simple as go and live your life, right? God's calling is never just go read scripture, go to church and believe in me, right? That's part of the calling. That's part of being a disciple. But you see, God's calling in our life is so much more than that. And most boldly, the most boldly proclaimed calls from God exist in this nature in which our comfort zone is tested, in which our comfort zone is stretched. You see, we didn't see it in Deborah's call last week, right? We entered in the midst of her ministry. But as we move into our story today, we will explore this nature of what it truly means to stand up when it may seem impossible, when it may feel uncomfortable. And we explore this nature of siding with, the, with justice, of siding with the oppressed, and of doing the work of God to build God's kingdom here on earth. The biblical figure of Esther. That is who we look at today. And you see, the cool thing about Esther is Esther gives us this beautiful and poetic example of a woman who is both at the same time questioning where she is being pulled and yet resolute when it comes to protecting her people. This story both, both shows both the struggle we go through to stand up for what is just and right in the world and recognizing how we do that in the place that we hold in society. That is oftentimes recognizing the role in which we can play based on who we are and the position we have in society. And this is the case because it is up to us to build the kingdom of God here. We seek to create a just society that reflects God's kingdom, and in that we seek to treat those and to see others treated with the same love that God shows each and every one of us. And the story of Esther, the story of Esther lays it out so nicely. The story of Esther, it is a long celebrated story in the Jewish tradition. In fact, it is actually the root of a Jewish holiday called Purim, the Feast of Lots, one of the sacred holidays in the Jewish tradition. And this holiday is an observance of the actions that take place in the story, of the saving of the Jewish people from the hands of Haman. In fact, when Jews gather together on Purim, they hear the story of Esther. And so let us today explore this story. Because right? I only read 17 verses of a 10-chapter book. I encourage you, as I always do, go back and read all 10 chapters of Esther. It is a wonderfully beautiful book that really shows us what it means in this, in this fact. I will sum it up for you today, but friends, I will not do it justice. And so I encourage you to go back and read. You see, the story of Esther, when we think of the biblical, when we think of the order of biblical scripture, especially when it comes to the Hebrew Bible, we think that it happens chronologically. Right, And so when we look at the order of Scripture in the Old Testament, we see Esther falls between Nehemiah and Job. And so maybe our mind automatically assumes that, okay, Esther may be part of that time before King David, before, or, or, or right in there with the kings. No, friends, Esther happens after the Babylonian exile. Esther happens more after the book of Isaiah in the time of the minor prophets, some of the minor prophets. You see, for those of you who, who may know, the Babylonian exile was a time when the Israelites were conquered by the people in Babylon, and they were sent away from their land. They were told they had to get out of their land, and they could not live there anymore. And generations upon generations of Israelites live in the Babylonian, in the land of Babylon. 
And after Babylon was conquered by Persia, the Persians allowed the Jews to return to their homeland. But here's what happened. Here's what happened is not all of them returned. Not all of them returned. Some of them stayed. And this is a a period in the Israelite tradition known as the diaspora. Because for generations, Israelites had lived in Babylon. They had made homes. They had married outside of their Israelite tradition. They had become friends with some people in the Babylonian Empire. And it wasn't as easy for them to leave. And so some of them stayed. Some of them stayed in Persia. And so our story of Esther enters in the midst of all of this. In the midst of all of this. And we have King Ahasuerus. And that will be the one and only time I will say his name today. Because yes, your pastor struggles with Hebrew names too. So I'm just going to call him King A. All right, from now on, King A who is ruling Persia, and in chapter 1 of this book, we actually don't meet Esther until later on. In fact, we see the, uh, the first queen that King A has, who is Queen Vashti, much easier of a name to pronounce. But Vashti enrages the king, and really and truly, like, if you read chapter 1 and you see why the king is mad at Vashti, you're going to be like, ugh, men have learned nothing in thousands of years, because they still behave like that. But Vashti is removed as queen because she does not listen to the king. She she is not willing to do exactly as the king commands her. And so what happens is the king removes Vashti. He talks to his council, and Vashti is removed from her position as queen. Some people think that she might have been killed. The scripture is not 100% certain on that. Here, let me check. Actually, this Bible is open to Esther, which is crazy. I've Never touched it. Um, But Vashti is removed as queen, and so King A begins this process of finding a new queen, because it is biblical times after all. And we move into chapter 2, and in chapter 2 we are introduced to the figure of Mordecai. And Mordecai is the cousin of Esther, but Mordecai is so much more than a cousin. Mordecai is actually a father figure to Esther. He helps to raise her, because as we will find out, Esther is an orphan. Esther is an orphan, and so Mordecai raises Esther. And when Mordecai hears of what is happening with King A, Mordecai brings Esther to the, queen, to the king. Women from all over Persia are brought to him. Now, we will just completely bypass every misogynistic thing that we see is happening here for right now. If you want to have a conversation about it later, I would be more than happy to. But Esther is brought forth to King A, and and in summation in chapter 2, Esther becomes queen. And friends, I'm really skipping a lot here. This is like very much the Reader's Digest version of this story. Please go read it. And so, but, here's the important part of this. Esther becomes queen, but her nature and heritage as a Jew is hidden. And it's done intentionally. Mordecai tells her, and we learn in chapter 2, that Mordecai tells Esther... Do not tell them who you are. Do not tell them who your people are, right? Because in this time, right, and, and we can look at the Babylonian exile and see the way in which the, the Israelites were mistreated. Uh, friends, just because the Persians allowed the Jews to go back into the land of Israel, it, it doesn't mean that the oppression of the Jews ended. Right, And so even though Jews are still being mistreated in the Persian empire, and in chapter 3, In chapter 3, we meet this guy named Haman. 
right? And thunder rains down from heaven, as we mentioned mention Haman. And Haman is this guy, and he has this dispute with Mordecai. And it really begins to feed this nature in which Haman just really does not like the Jews. And so it feeds into this system of oppression that has existed in the Persian Empire. And so Haman, with the vast amounts of money he has, pays the king in order to get all of the Jews killed. And especially Haman's focused, I want Mordecai hanged. And so Friends, this is where our passage enters us today. This is where the passage of Scripture that uh, Minta read for us this morning enters us into this conversation. And the passage in front of us today is a conversation between Mordecai and Esther. And, And friends, they're not in the same space, which makes this even more interesting of a conversation. Esther is in the royal palace. And Mordecai is at the front gates. And friends, Mordecai is not just at the front gates. Mordecai is at the front gates in a sack covered in ash. And so Mordecai probably looks like the city crazy person. But Mordecai is in mourning for his people. And Mordecai is grieving because his people, and even himself, are about to be executed. And so Mordecai does the only thing that he knows to do. And he reaches out to his cousin, the woman he helped raise, and asks her for help. And Esther, as we see in the beginning of this passage, is somewhat hesitant. And for good reason, right? She knows what happened Queen Vashti. She knows that to go against the king's order, to enter the king's uh, throne room when she is not called, means death. But Mordecai stands firm and lets her know that this is, this is no time, but that people are literally going to die. And so we hear Esther, we hear Mordecai tell Esther, and this is uh, verses 13 and 14 there on your notes page there. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, Relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Along with Micah 6, 8, this is probably one of my more favorite verses in the Bible, especially among verses that speak to the action versus inaction when it comes to justice in this world. And it is these words, for such a time as this, that names the nature in which God can work through us if we are merely willing to look beyond what holds us back and to side with the justice that God is seeking in the kingdom. And we see in the end That Esther will stand up. Esther helps the Jews, advocates in front of the king and in front of Haman. When we moved into chapters 5 through 10, we see Esther calling and dining with Haman and with the king. Not once, but twice to advocate for the Jews. To show the king how much of a fool Haman is. She risks her own life and she risks the life of her people to stand up and to save them. Esther realizes that Mordecai's words are true. This is no time to sit back. 
This is no time to rely on her self-interest of being queen. But it is her position and role in the royal court that gives her the ability to offer help. And it is her willingness to step in and to be a part of seeking justice for her people that helps to save them. And for all of us, we can learn the same lessons from this story as well. We learn so much more about what justice looks like from Esther because it's not this typical type of justice that we see and may come to expect in Scripture. Right? It is an example of someone standing firm, of someone recognizing the work that they can do. Justice is brought at the hands of a Jewish woman who sees herself with power to truly help those who need it. I mean, let's be real. Esther could have very easily renounced her heritage, her God, and just gone along with Haman and what the king was calling them to do. But no, Esther, in hearing the cries of her people, stands and sides with justice. The lesson of Esther for us resides both in her privilege as a royal person and her oppressed nature as not just a Jew, but also as a woman. Esther teaches us to stand up when we recognize real, true, and honest oppression in this world. Right When we see persons hurting or in pain, we are called to be in the side of standing up for them. When we look at the systemic oppression that has befallen people of color in this country, we must be called to help to end it. When we see people being persecuted because of their identity, we are called to take action. But you know what? We can also name that as we sit here, as people of Beach Grove, we must recognize the privilege that we have when it comes to understanding these issues. As white people, we can never, never fully understand the racial injustice. We must defend from a matter of knowing our own privilege and seeking to understand more deeply the atrocities that have led to these systemic oppressions that exist in our society today. Esther shows us what it means to be human beings to care for one another out of that very basic nature. Esther stands up in the face of her possible own oppression too. Right? Her standing up could mean her own death. And she knows that if she sets foot out of line with the king, she could end up just like Vashti. Now, in a lot of ways, we often don't risk life But we often risk a lot when we too stand up for oppression. When we look at the highly divided and partisan nature of our society, we see people ostracized because of their beliefs all the time. Right? If we stand on the wrong side of an issue, we risk losing friends, we risk losing family. But we know that we are being called day in and day out by a loving God who is seeking to build the kingdom of God right here on earth. And we are shown over and over again through Scripture that when we stand to create a more just society, 
we are doing God's work. When we seek to create a just society for all, no matter the color of their skin, no matter how they identify, no matter even who they worship, but when we love from the nature in which God loved us and loves us, we do the work of God in the world. Because oppression begins by persons thinking they are better than others because of some aspect about themselves. And so we, to grow the kingdom of God, are called to end oppression. And like Esther, we are called to side with justice. Justice that doesn't seek to destroy, but justice that seeks to redeem. Redeem and heal the evils and sins of humanity. That brings peace within our world. And rather than just caring about the number of souls saved, we care about the divine image that exists and resides with each created being. If we truly line up behind Esther and regard this notion of standing up for justice, we see the boldness that she takes, not just as a woman, not just as a Jew, but as an actor of faith to live the call from God to stand and to side with justice and love. And so we are left with answering the questions about how are we bringing justice in our own time? How are we standing up and helping the wounds of evil in this world? How do we often recognize, how do we try and recognize our own privilege in situations and yet still seek to help those who are oppressed? And how do we look upon the face of our neighbors who are being oppressed and not try to sanctify the ways that we feel oppressed, but to see their nature of pain and find healing? Amen.